Praise the Lord, everybody. It's uh, good to have this opportunity to uh, greet you this morning, this Sunday morning, uh, the 15th day of November. I'm so thankful to the Lord for this platform that he's given us to be able to still spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. I know that we've been having some issues here lately with uh, Facebook and the video uh, seeming to be choppy and we're not really sure why that is uh, because none of the other platforms that we use are having that issue. So if at any point the video today starts to get choppy and you're looking at us through Facebook, please uh, you can watch us on our web page. Our website is www.graceandmercyfc.com and uh, right in the middle of the page there's a video player and you can press the play button and on that player it will show you this live uh, broadcast. You can also go to YouTube, you can search for Grace and Mercy F uh, Fellowship Center, Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center and you should see an icon that comes up that it's, uh, looks like a blue and white cloud and you'll see a GMFC um, behind uh, what looks like a three-dimensional cross. Um, there, one of the listings there should be the live stream. If you have Roku, you can uh, look for us on our Roku channel. Uh, it's Grace and Mercy FC uh, Television, Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center. You can search for us. It's the same icon on uh, Roku. And we've had reports that uh, the broadcast comes through just fine there as well. And if you have Periscope, again, you can search for us, Grace and, um, and Mercy Fellowship Center, and it will also come up there, and it doesn't seem to be a problem. It only seems to affect Facebook for some reason. Uh, but there are multiple ways that you can watch this broadcast. We always rebroadcast on Thursdays. The video is always uh, saved on our Roku uh, channel, uh, so you always have the opportunity to watch us there. And you can always go to christianworldmedia.com and search for us. Uh, all of our broadcasts are stored there as well and uh, you can watch us there. So if Facebook doesn't seem to work well for you, please try one of these other platforms so that you don't miss any part of the Word of God. Uh, the easiest is just going to www.graceandmercyfc.com and you can look at the video player right in the middle of the home page. And uh, just if it doesn't auto start for you, you can just hit the play button and it will play either last week's video um, if we're not live streaming or it will, it will play the live broadcast as it would do right now since we are actively live streaming. But we're so thankful to the Lord uh, that we have this opportunity to come talk to you. And uh, we don't plan to be before you long. We try not to hold you long. Uh, we so miss the fellowship of uh, the body of believers coming together and singing songs and dancing, and we uh, pray to the Lord for the return of that. It looks like in, in society, things are just getting worse uh, here in the, in the state of Ohio. Uh, our numbers have seemingly um, gone up day to day. It seems like every day we break the record of the previous day that broke the record of the previous day. This trend isn't uh, isolated to just the state of Ohio. It seems to be the trend that's going across the United States at this time. And it's causing <clears throat> the uh, political 
uh, leadership to uh, make decisions um, in reference to closing down different things, restricting uh, gatherings and things of that nature. Now, I know that there are some uh, in the body of Christ that um, ignore these commands uh, from our political leadership. But I would caution them because the Bible tells us that we ought to obey uh, those that have rule over us. And our governors and our mayors, they do have rule over us. And if they have restricted, like in the state of Ohio, if they have restricted the gathering together of more than 10 people together, and now they're even talking about restricting that, um, they're strongly encouraging no gatherings at Thanksgiving time of family members coming together. Um, we should, as the body of Christ, be leaders. We should not be the ones that are leading in a rebellious uh, manner, saying, well, God's got us, and we can just gather and do what we want, because that's not using wisdom. The Lord tells us that we ought to use wisdom in all the things that we do. So I encourage you, at least um, in the state of Ohio, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my fellow bond servants, pastors and preachers, to use the, the platforms that we have available to us so that we can still get the message out. The Lord knows that we long to gather together, and he'll give us that opportunity. And I look forward to that day, and what a joyous day it will be. But until then, let us do that which is right. Let us be leaders in obedience, even as Christ was a leader in obedience to us as he listened to his Father. So I encourage you um, to, to take advantage of these platforms, to do what you can. Uh, we're trying to work on uh, some things here to have a better backdrop, um, so you have something a little bit nicer to look at besides me. But we thank the Lord again for this time that he's given us. Let's get into the word of God. The message that I want to talk to you today has to do with reality. I've kind of been talking to the Lord about uh, our reality, our seemingly crazy reality. No one would have guessed in 2019 that 2020 would be like it is. I think many of us entered this year expecting more of the same. But if there's anything that we've learned... We've learned that nothing's really the same. We may repeat cycles because this isn't the first pandemic that's ever hit us. But things change over time in how things affect us. So the question I really ask is whose reality or what reality are you living in? Is it the reality of today? The things that we see? Or is it the reality of God's Word? Let's talk about this for a second. You know, I think the problem uh, with religion is that it's just simply not real. Rather than praying with Christ, we pray at Christ. Rather than knowing Jesus, we just know about Jesus. Because of this type of mentality, we do not live in His reality. We live in a abstract reality, a reality that is in essence different than the reality that Christ has projected. I'm not talking about people who are in the world either. I'm talking about people who are saved, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This message is directed really 
at them while those in the world can gain some strength and come to know who Jesus is through this word this message is really directed at my brothers and sisters who toil struggle with everything that's going on it seems that we don't have that bright shining vibrant reality that we ought to have I see it more and more every day as things in this world get worse and worse we are in the midst of a worsening pandemic record-breaking violence in the land here in the city of Columbus we've broken the homicide record and we're not uh, the only city that's struggling with violence and even the bedrock of our democracy a peaceful transition of power is in jeopardy no one seems to be on the same page everything seems to be chaotic in the reality of the world let's turn to the book of first John the first through the fourth verse the Word of God reads there that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life for the life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and these things write we unto you now here's the key that your joy may be full the Apostle John literally wrote five books in the Bible to give you a little Bible history here he wrote five books he wrote the Gospel of John that's the last book uh, in the beginning of the New Testament he wrote first second and third John and he wrote the book of Revelation. Now in the Gospel of John, he wrote the Gospel to the unsaved. And the purpose of the Gospel of John was to convince sinners. He says, these, these things have I written unto you, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through his name. He wrote it directly, purposely. To reach the hearts and minds of those who did not know who Jesus was and so that that would deal with what God has done the things that he has already completed and the purpose is to convince sinners of salvation now the epistles of John that I just read from deal not with the past but they deal with the present they deal not with what God has done, but what God is doing. And while the gospel was written to convince sinners, the epistles are written to confirm the saints. That's you and I, the believers, the body of Christ. That we might know certain things, and that we might be confirmed in our salvation, and in our experience, not in life, but our experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are writings to the citizens of the kingdom of God what kingdom do you dwell in if you're a believer this is not your kingdom here but your kingdom is the kingdom of his dear son then John writes the book of Revelation 
That's the book that deals with things to come. Now the Gospels deal with the past. The Epistles deal with the present. And Revelation deals with the future. If the Gospel was to convince sinners, and if the Epistles were to confirm saints, then the book of Revelation is to comfort those who suffer. Because he was dealing with those people who were suffering. And he's saying to them, I'm going to show you how it's going to end. I'm going to give you courage. And I'm going to give you strength through the word of God to help you to bear up. The Gospels deal with salvation. The Epistles deal with sanctification. And Revelation deals with glorification. The Gospels deal with salvation. The Epistles, they deal with sanctification. And the book of Revelation deals with glorification. Now I'm going to leave out the Gospels right now, and I'm going to leave out Revelation, and I just want to kind of hone in and focus on uh, the book of uh, the first, second, and third book, which we call the Epistles of John. Not all the epistles, so don't get scared. I'm just going to talk about 1 John, the first epistle of John. I told you I won't keep you long, and I'm going to be a man of my word. The first thing I want you to see and understand about the first epistle of John is that he's trying to give us the proper attitude or have it to have the right attitude. Most people will tell you in life that attitude is everything. The attitude or the manner in which you perceive life determines how you will engage life. And having the proper attitude is vital to how you're going to engage life, but not just how you engage life, but how life engages you. The proper attitude of a believer is an attitude of joy. Let's go back to the word, 1 John 1 and 4. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So we have right here a contrast, a stark contradiction in the reality that we face in the world and the reality that we see in the Word. The reality in the world would have us to be in despair, sad, despondent. But the reality of who we are in Christ is such that our joy might be full. Now, if you'll study what John said in 1 John, you're going to have to uh, end up in a place of the fullness of joy because that's the purpose. One of his purposes uh, is that you would have the right attitude because having the right attitude will lead you to being filled with the joy, not of the world, which is temporal, but the joy of the Lord, which is everlasting. It is from everlasting to everlasting. It never runs out. It is eternal. This is why when we attach by our attitude, our perception, the filling of our joy to temporal things, your joy becomes temporal. If you're attaching your joy to how your relationship is flowing, your joy, I promise you, will have ebbs and flows. It will have highs and it will have lows. Though your relationship with a spouse, let's say, should not be uh, temporal in the sense of 
uh, an ending outside of the passing of your life, we often see in this world that our relationships don't last too long. And then when we attach our joy to that relationship, it's great and we're all happy and full of joy when everything's going well, but the moment that one or the other does something to the other or in a manner in which the other does not appreciate, then our joy is affected. Anger or bitterness or hatred sets in. The relationship sours, and because the relationship sours, our joy sours. We have the wrong attitude in the application of the joy of the Lord in our life. It's based upon things that are destined to fail. It's based upon things that are limited in their existence. And because of these things, the joy then itself is destined to fail or it's destined to be limited. But the word that was written was written that we have the right attitude. You see, God wants his people filled with joy. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, a wounded spirit, that is a spirit lacking joy, no man can bear. So his promise is, is that he would put his joy in us, that our joy would remain full. Do you know a miserable Christian is actually a contradiction in terms? And yet, there are a lot of people who have religion that makes them miserable. It's kind of like a headache. The headache gives you a terrible problem, and you can't stand it. But you can't afford to get rid of your head, and thus, that's why people with their religion, they're the same way. Their religion annoys the mess out of them, but they can't seem to get rid of it. It's sort of a pain to them, but they know they need it, and because they need it, they can't get rid of it. But John says, away with religion that wears grave clothes. John says that we ought to have joy. If you don't have unspeakable joy, and if you're not full of the glory of God's joy in your heart right now, then there's something wrong with your spiritual life. The Word of God is clear. What has been written has been written so that your joy might be full. That means that even in the midst of everything that's going on, whether it be your personal life, whether it is your um, uh, engagement in life with everything that's going on or uh, the things that you see, the things that you feel, even if you're directly affected by this pandemic, whether it be uh, you are sick or you have a loved one that is sick or um, you know, you're affected by the, the, the way that the, the pandemic is affecting our economy and uh, you know, all these different things, in one way or another, in truth, we're all being affected by what's going on. And it would drive in normal thinking, in, in, in what we would call earthly acceptable reasoning, to not be extremely happy about everything that we're seeing. Yet the Bible says that if we have a place where we are sitting in sorrow, then there's something wrong. Because these things write we unto you that your joy 
may be false. In other words, your reality is not connected to the things that we're seeing. For the believer, these things occur, they are facts of life, but they are not the reality or the truth of the believer. Because we have something that the world does not have. We have knowledge and relationship that the world has rejected. So while their reality might be greatly troubled by everything that's going on, the reality of the believer is that even though these things are, are occurring, reality does not deny the existence of this trouble. What reality does is it puts perspective on the trouble that we face. Because I know that my God is a healer. And if the reality of the world touches me directly, then I know that I shall be healed. I know that even if this disease should infect my body and take my life, the reality of the world is, is they don't really understand where they're going. For lack of knowledge of God, some are in fear because they don't know what happens after death. But the reality of a believer and the fact that I can be full of joy that I don't fear death is that I know <clears throat> where I'm going. I understand that even if this pandemic should affect me directly, physically in my earthen body, that this body, though it may be placed in a grave, will one day rejoin its spirit, meet in the air with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and forever shall I be with the Lord. I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm full of joy. Death is not something that I fear. While it is not something that I am embracing as I'm longing for it, I don't fear it. And if it should come, for me, my joy is not affected because I know where I'm going. There's a difference in my attitude. My attitude is connected to the reality that I'm in as a believer in Jesus. Besides having a proper attitude or the right attitude, we ought to have proper action. The Bible teaches us these things not just to deal with a poor attitude or uh, to encourage us to have a proper attitude, but he also wants us to do the right things. So not only does he want you to have a joyful life, he wants you to have a pure life. If we move down into chapter 2, verse 1, you'll see in 1 John, it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now he's confirming the saints here. First of all, that they might have the right attitude, which is joy. And then that they might have the right action, which is holiness. Yes, saints of old holiness is still right. He is writing to prevent sin. And if you were to understand what John is saying in this epistle of 1 John, you would have and live a holy life. 1 John 2 and 1, These things write I unto you that you sin not. He is writing to promote holiness. Now we're not talking about sinless perfection here. Every day, we ought to be becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus. And we ought to be growing in our holiness, in the process 
of our sanctification. Every day, there should be strides towards being more reflective of who we are in Christ, dealing with the things that we learn, that we've heard of the Lord, reading and studying his word. We should be coming more and more like him every day and less and less like who we were. We should be thinking more and more like him. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, renewing our thought processes, renewing the way we engage information, renewing the way we process information, renewing the way we utilize information based not upon the reasoning or the wisdom of man, but upon the reasoning and the wisdom of God. Besides having, uh, you know, being filled with joy and being filled with holiness, we have to understand that we have authority. And because we have authority, we need to function properly in that authority. So not only does he write that we might have the proper attitude, which is joy, and the proper action, which is holiness, but he also wrote that we might have the proper authority, which is the word of God and the truth. If we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, it says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Now he's writing also that you know, we might have uh, the proper authority and the proper accuracy within our authority based upon what has been written. You see, there were false teachers in that day. Un, you know, just, just like, rather, uh, there are false teachers today. So how are you going to deal with false teachers? Well, the way you deal with a false teacher is just simply to know what the truth is. You don't have to go around studying every cult and every ism that ought to be and wasn't that comes down the pipe. You don't have to understand all of that. I know believers who spend more time trying to understand every doctrine that they wonder why they're so confused and can't figure out how to be at peace. We spend energy and effort trying to understand something for which we're not designed to understand, especially if we're walking in our faith. We as the children of God must know for ourselves if what is being said jives with what Jesus has said. So then our measuring stick is the word of God. Notice I did not say that we measure what was said by what the preacher says or what our friends say or any other type of measurement, qualification, guidance, but we measure according to the word of God. It doesn't matter who knocks on your door or what kind of person comes out of left field or off the wall with some sort of new idea, new theology, new revelation. It doesn't matter how good they look, how sweet they sound. John says, I've written about these things which seduce you. We validate what we hear with what Jesus has declared. So he wanted them to have the proper attitude, which is joy. He wants them to have the proper activity, which is a life of holiness. He wants them to have the proper authority, which is the word of God, by which we measure all things in life. But he didn't stop there. He wanted them to have the proper assurance as well. Look in 1 John chapter 5. And he's going to tell us the fourth reason that he wrote this book. 
1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, you ought to highlight what he says here. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye might know that ye have eternal life. So he wants you to have the proper assurance. He wants you to know and understand that you're saved and that you don't have and that you don't have to be unsaved. He wants you to realize that if you don't even know that you're saved, maybe it's because you need to be saved. And if you are saved and don't know that you're saved, it's because you're living beneath your privilege. You ought to be able to say, praise God, I know that I'm saved. As a matter of fact, a New Testament Christian is not supposed to be a question mark going around with their head hung down. They're uh, supposed to be an exclamation point. They're supposed to say, I know that I'm saved. The Bible declares, who are the redeemed of the Lord? Those who have been redeemed, bought back, purchased from one thing to another. Well, the believer ought to say with absolute declaration, I am the redeemed of the Lord. I am saved and sanctified and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I am empowered to live this life through the grace of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know in where my future is held. It doesn't matter what my past has been. I know what my future holds for me because of my salvation. John writes this gospel to convince sinners. He wrote the, the epistles to confirm saints. He wrote the revelation to comfort sufferers. And then he takes this epistle when he's confirming the saints and he writes this epistle, number one, that they might have with all their heart the proper attitude, which is unspeakable joy. That they would have the proper lifestyle, which is holiness. That they would have the proper authority, which is the word of God. And that they would have the proper assurance that they might know that they are the children of God. And because they are children, then they're going to be with him eternally. And then in order to give us this assurance, John squeezes in just a little bit tighter, a little bit more information. He begins to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ is the sum total of all that there is. He is the source and the substance of our assurance. It is in Christ or we have no right to any assurance. This is what he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So then Jesus is the always Christ. He's not the sometimes Christ. He's not the maybe Christ. He's not the Christ in moments or uh, temporarily. He is the always Christ. He has always been and shall always be Christ. The very first thing that I want to say about the Lord Jesus is this. He is the eternal Christ. Look in verse 1. That which was from the beginning. 1 John 1 and 1. That which was from the beginning. Now he's the eternal Christ. The always Christ. There never was a time when he was not Christ. There was never a time when he was not, period. He was there in the beginning. We read in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And since he was there in the beginning, of course, he's been there since the beginning. And from the beginning, and before there was a beginning, he is and was and shall always be Christ. John tells us that Jesus is the pre-existent, co-eternal, co-equal with God the Father. I want you to understand this. The Jehovah's Witness do not believe this. The Mormons do not believe this. Many cults do not believe this. But a born-again, Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled believer of Jesus called a Christian who knows his word, knows that Jesus Christ is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. He is the eternal Christ. There never was a time when he was not. That little baby that was found born in Bethlehem's manger was older than his earthly parents. Never forget it. Jesus always was. Jesus always is. Jesus always will be from the beginning to the end. Before time even was, Jesus was. It was the enacting of the word which is Christ that established and created time for creation. I know we all love it when people come knocking on our doors to share nonsense with us. Let me show you something interesting. If you want to deal with some of these people, first of all, just take them to the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter and the sixth verse, and just keep your bookmark right there in 1 John. But turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, and let's see what it says about the Lord Jesus. Here it says about the Lord Jesus, I don't think there's anybody who would equivocate that this verse deals with Christ. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Now what's the next word? The Mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Read it for yourself, Isaiah 9 and 6. Now, if He is the Almighty God, if He is the Son, the Mighty God, then He has to be co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. Now, when I've asked some of these folks who have come knocking on my door in times past about this verse, do you know what they say to me? They say, oh yes, Jesus is the Mighty God, but He's not Jehovah God. That is, he is the mighty God, but he's not the almighty God. This sounds to me like they've got too many gods. The Bible says, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Exodus 22 and 3. And if Jesus Christ is not God, then he's not worthy to be worshipped. For the Bible declares, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only. You can find that in the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew, the 10th verse, the fourth chapter of the book of Luke in the eighth verse. In the Bible, you find out whether they worship the Lord Jesus. If anybody says this to you, Jesus is the mighty God, but not the almighty God. Only Jehovah is the almighty God. Then just ask them. Well, if I could find a verse of scripture 
that says that Jehovah is the mighty God, and this verse says that Jesus is the mighty God, then wouldn't you have to say and accept that Jesus and Jehovah are the same God? They would say, oh yes. Then you can turn with them to the book of Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter. I'm trying to teach you something here. And verse 17 and 18, where it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Now, verse 18 is still talking about Jehovah God. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompenseth the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. They're exactly the same terminology that's used to describe Jehovah of hosts or the Lord of hosts, the mighty God. It's the name that is used in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, to describe that baby that was in a manger in Bethlehem. There's no denying in the word of God that Jesus the Father that was in creation is the same Jesus that was born in a manger. Now what I'm trying to say, if you go back to 1 John chapter 1, is this. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, that we worship is always Christ. There never was a time when he was not Christ. He can never change. Therefore, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And how could he change? You know, he's not going to get worse, and he's not going to get better. He cannot change because he's always the same. Because he's always the same. He's not always just Christ. He's actually Christ. He's not just eternal Christ. He's actually Christ. Because when we were talking about the pre-existence of Christ, that Christ dwelt in the bosom of the Father in spiritual form. But he was made flesh. Now some get the idea that perhaps he was uh, really, he, he was never really made flesh. That he never was an actual man. But if you continue to read what John is saying. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Now watch this. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled of the word of life. Now there was in. In this time period of John's writing, a heresy that was already beginning to be spread. It was called the Gnostic heresy, after the Greek word genos, which means to know. And there were people who called themselves Gnostics. They were people who had superior wisdom. They were know-it-alls. Uh, that's what they were. They were know-it-alls. Uh, now, uh, what, the, uh, what the Gnostics would say is, oh, we believe in Christ, uh, but we do not believe that God ever took an actual human body. We believe that the body that people saw of the Lord Jesus was a kind of phantom. That is, they did, they did not believe in the incarnation of Jesus. They did not believe uh, essentially in the humanity 
of Jesus. They could not wrap their wisdom around the humanity of Jesus when it is the very humanity of Jesus that connects Jesus to our current reality that is in existence in this world. The reality of suffering, the reality of fear, the reality of hopelessness. It is the very humanity of Jesus that connects us that we would have a high priest that was touched in every way by the infirmities of our very nature. Now what I want you to think with me for a moment and I want you to think of Christ. And it's absolutely fundamentally important that you understand the deity of Christ. But I want to tell you, and you can't miss what I'm about to say, because it's just as big a heresy to deny the humanity of Christ as it is to deny the deity of Christ. And if you deny the humanity of Christ, you're going to miss a tremendous blessing and you're going to have to uh, live a distortion of Christianity. It was absolutely fundamental that Jesus became a human being, a man. That's exactly what he was, a man. And without the fullness of humanity, we have no incarnation. He was as much God as he was man. He was as much man as he was God. He was not half man and half God. He was not all God and no man, or all man and no God. He was the God man. Never forget it. He was the fullness of God and the fullness of man. He is the actual Christ in flesh and blood. Notice what John says. He was more than mere man, but he was man. Now this is the first eyewitness news broadcast that's ever been recorded in history. That which we have seen with our eyes and that which we have heard, 1 John 1 and 1. Had you lived back in this day with a digital recorder, you could have recorded the voice of the Lord Jesus, that which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which we have looked upon. Had you had an iPhone in that day, you could have videotaped the Lord Jesus. This word seen comes from the Greek word theomai. It's the word where we get our word theater from. It actually means not a glimpse, but it means an intense investigation that gives understanding. So what God is saying here in this book of John, we heard him, we scrutinized him, we examined him, we saw him. And then he says that which we have handled because we've touched him. We actually put our hands upon him. This John was the John who laid his head upon the breast of Jesus. Jesus had a physical, a material body. I don't know how much he weighed, 
but let, let's, let's just throw a weight out there. He weighed 182 pounds. I don't know how tall he was, but let's just put a number on it. He was six feet, one inches tall. I don't know. He, he was something. He, he had height. I, I don't know what color his hair was, but let's just say it was dark brown. I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but he did have a hair color. He did have an eye color. Let's say his eyes were blue just like mine. He did have weight. He did have height because he was the actual Christ. When he walked in sand, his foot left an imprint because he was the fullness of a human. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. John 1 verse 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is an encouragement. The humanity of Christ is an encouragement. Because without his humanity, he could never be an example to me. What is the first thing people tell you when they struggle and you try to encourage them? You cannot understand what I'm going through unless you've gone through the same thing. Well, you cannot understand our humanity unless you've gone through our humanity. Jesus said, not only will I understand, but I will endure the human condition just like you. Now, when Jesus was here in the flesh, he felt what I feel. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 and, 4 and 15, 4 and 15, in all points tempted like as I am. And when Jesus lived his life here in the flesh, he took upon himself human flesh and he depended upon the Holy Spirit and the God in glory, our Heavenly Father, to live just exactly as I must depend upon the Holy Spirit and my Holy Father in glory. Now what I'm trying to say is he didn't pull rank on me. He didn't perform a miracle because he was God. He didn't perform a miracle outside of his dependence upon God and his dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he is my example. And if you take away his humanity, you take away his example. And if you take away his humanity, you take away his blood atonement. He's actually the Christ. He's actually the Christ. But he's not just actually Christ. He's also the articulate. There's another thing that I want to say about him. Not only is he always Christ, not only is he actually Christ, but he's also articulate Christ. Look again at what the word declares. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Now watch this. Of the word 
of life. First John 1 and 1, Jesus is called the Word. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1 and 1 in Revelation chapter 19, when he comes again, his name that is engraved upon him, and that name is called the Word of God, Revelation 19 and 13. And here he's called three times the Word, the Word, the Word. Now why does John call Jesus the Word? Because a Word is a form of communication. You see, that's the purpose of a Word. We communicate by words. Jesus is God's communication to you and I. Do you want to know God? You have to know God through Christ. Or you will not know God at all. The only way you can know Him is through His Word. And His Word is the living Word. His Word is Christ. Jesus is His first Word. By the way, it says in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word. The very first thing that God uttered was Jesus. Jesus is God's full Word. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2 and 9. And then Jesus is also God's final Word. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Hebrews 1 and 2. And you say, Jesus, you've said it all. I mean, that's it. God doesn't have to say anything else. It's Jesus and mic drop. You want me to tell you what God is saying to this world? Jesus is what he's saying to this world. Do you want me to tell you what God is saying to you? Jesus is what he's saying to you. Jesus is the articulation of God. He is the one who articulates the mind and the will of God. And he does it through his written word. Now let me tell you something else. A man and his word may be different. But God and his word can never be different. And if you believe in the God of the word, you're going to have to believe in the word of that God. You can't separate these two. Jesus said that if you're going to hear him, you're going to hear his word. Now the last thing that I want to share with you today, and I'm, I'll be finished. Not only is he always Christ, not only is he actually Christ, not only is he the articulation, but thank God he is also available. You may be thinking to yourself, Bishop Lyseth, we can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't hear him. We cannot handle him. But you know him. Look in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are still having fellowship with the Apostle John and with all, all of those who have uh, gone on before us who knew the Lord because our fellowship 
is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is available by faith. And John declares him that we might receive him. We who are saved have the ability to see the invisible, to know the unknowable, to do the impossible. The soul has eyes, and the soul has ears, and the soul has bands. And so I can see him by my eye of faith. I can hear him by my word of faith. I can touch him with a touch of faith. We need to know more than just the historical Christ. We need to experience the personal Christ. You're not saved by the plan of salvation. You're saved by the man of salvation. When you got married, you didn't get married uh, to religion. You didn't get a marriage religion. You got a wife or a husband to stand in relationship with. When you get saved, you didn't get a Christian religion. You got a relational Jesus. You have him and you you know him and you can have fellowship with him. He is to be your heart and in your life a bright living shining reality that supersedes the reality and the despair that is in this land. He who holds my tomorrow is in my hands. What is the reality that you're living in today? Some of us are living in the wrong reality, experiencing the wrong things and robbing ourselves of the truth that is in the reality of Christ. God bless you. May heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace. May the Lord keep you in your going out and in your coming in, in your lying down and in your labor, in your leisure, and even in this time where tears are flowing, and grant to you great peace. For the blessings of the Lord are yes and amen. I speak over your life right now. I know that there are some struggling with sickness in the body. Members of this church that are struggling with sickness. I speak over your life now. Healing in your body. I speak over your life. The release of God's reality of his living of his life into your body. That the reality of your sickness would be subdued by the reality of his life. Those that are struggling now, I speak God's peace. For power has been given unto me to share with you that which I've seen, that which I know, that which I am in fellowship with through my understanding of who Jesus is. God bless you. Know that I love you and I'm praying for you. But God loves you best. Make it a blessed reality. Because that's the reality of Jesus.